John, 1 John chapter 4, John is going to lay out some things that we should be looking for nowadays as, the, as it is uh, approaching or is we are in the, the last days. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So there's a lot of things or motivations or spirits that are trying to influence people. And really, the connection that we see that that John is talking about is, is back when he talked about the spirit of the Antichrist. So there's the spirit of God that leads people in righteousness, and then there's the spirit of the Antichrist or these other spirits in the world who really, if it's not the spirit of God, what is it? It's the spirit of the world, you know? We only want to be influenced by the spirit of God, by what his calling is, and be able to to decipher, to distinguish if it's the Holy Spirit or if it's something else, some kind of other motivation. I think that this is really timely, and I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but I feel like there's a lot of influences going on right now. There's a lot of people pulling in different directions. This is what I think. This is what I believe. This is what you should do. This is what you should believe. And really, I, what I want to you know, get down to the bottom, even in the church, I want to get down to the bottom. Which one of these are being motivated by the Spirit of God? And which of these theories are being motivated by the spirits of this world? And that's the warning. The warning is make sure that you guys test the Spirit so you don't get deceived into thinking something's okay as a Christian that's really not okay. I remember when we lived in Europe, they would have these big markets. They were called bazaars, you know. And we would go to these bazaars, and they would have um, Gucci, Armani, everything from the top down to the bottom, and these, these handbags and this stuff that were typically very, very, very expensive. And these, these people would take a, a genuine article, and then they would copy it. And it was a counterfeit. They would copy it. And then a a pair of shoes, because I used to run a lot more, as you can probably tell. I used to run a lot more in Croatia than I do here. And a pair of shoes, you know, if you wanted a good pair of running shoes, which if you're a runner, you know what that means. You know you're having a good, solid pair of shoes. You're going to pay $120 to $150, especially over there. You're looking at like $150. Or you could go to the market, and you can get the same shoes that they made that look exactly like those running shoes at 150 for like 20 or 30. And it's like, man, what should I do? You know, I mean, I should just get these. But the people who were buying the ones that were 20 or 30, their motivation wasn't the quality because they knew what they were getting. What, were, what was their motivation? Their motivation was the, the impression, how people would perceive them as being, you know, in, in touch with the with the trends of, of style, and, and they had the, the glasses, the watch, the whole get-up. And, and over there, it was very important how you presented yourself when you went out publicly. But here was the thing about the ones that were made and sold in the marketplaces. Do you know what the biggest difference was? And I already referenced it briefly. The quality, you know, you, you buy, you, you pay what you get for. But, but this is what would happen. If you would get those things, they would last, especially a pair of shoes. You're talking two, three months tops. Tops. Sometimes a month. 
I remember there was this guy who used to come to church, and he got these new shoes. He says, check out my new shoes. I'm like, where'd you get them? He's like, the Pazar. I was like, oh, those are really nice. It was like a month and a half later that they were, the soles were coming off. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, that's a, that's a bummer. Would you have rather paid for the genuine product or gotten the knockoff that really doesn't have the value that you want people to believe that it has? I have to confess to you, there was a time where I, I you know, in, in Croatia where uh, I was able to spend, and this was exorbitant for us because we did not have money, but it was my birthday and my lovely wife allowed me to spend $150 on a black pair of Nike running shoes. And I kid you not, I still wear them today. I still wear them. The point is, like, what are we going to put our uh, investment in? What are we going to give ourselves to? Is it going to be the counterfeit, or is it going to be what's genuine? And in the Spirit of God, when we give ourselves wholly to Him in genuineness, we are able to keep it together because that's what God's intention and heart for us is that we would be good representatives of who he is. But when the counterfeits come, when the, you know, I don't even like counterfeits, when the knockoffs come and we buy into those things that the spirits of this world try to get us to give into, things unravel very quickly. It starts coming apart in no time. You look at some of these things that are happening in the world, and specifically right now, what what John is talking about is he's referring to doctrines in the church. He's warning people in the church about these things that could be coming from the outside or influences in the church. But if it's the spirit of the world that's trying to penetrate, then you can get that out in the world as well. Does that make sense? It's the same thing that they're offering. So when you see these, these, you know, I, I, I see these... And I, I, uh, I don't really want to say it this way, but there really isn't any other way. When you see these people who call themselves Christians that put dates to the time when the end of the world is going to happen, that is a spirit of this world. And what do they tell you to do? They tell you, give us all of your money, give us all your resources so that we can advertise and we can let people know that this is going to happen. And then when the date comes and goes, nothing happens. Some people are a lot poorer. Some people are a lot richer. And it ends up, when you boil it down, it ends up being just the spirit of this world. A a knowledge that's loftier, a, a greed, a pride, whatever the case may be. And he's warning them. He says, be careful Make sure that you test these spirits. And if you hear of something that's going to happen, test it with Scripture. Test it with God's Word. And we don't have to uh, figure that stuff out individually. We come together corporately and we talk about those things. Hey, I heard this. What do you think about this? There's this Christian conspiracy theory that's driving me crazy right now. I'm sorry that, that I wasn't going to bring it up, but I can't help myself. This whole thing of Obama's going to go into a third term. Come on. Like, is our hope in Jesus Christ for the future? Or is our hope in some ex-president who's going to take the reins and have the power? Guess what? The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. 
Let it all go down at the end of the day. Jesus Christ is Lord, and nobody can do or say anything against him. And any kind of fear-mongering that we take part in reflects badly to the world on us. It's the spirit of this world. It's self-preservation. When God says, I don't want you to preserve your own life. I don't want you to worry about having things all together, you know, and taking care of yourself. I want to do that for you. I want you to trust me. And people say, well, I want to be ready. That's fine. I want to be ready too. But at the core, the, at the heart of my preparedness, I want my, my strength to be in Jesus Christ. And if the day comes and I have all this stuff that I've gotten ready and I don't even really know what's going to happen, what's my dependence on? Is it on the Lord? Or is it on a, a philosophy, a theory, a, a spirit of this world indoctrination? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. This is an interesting way to test the other spirits, especially when it comes in the context of, of testing spirits in the church. Now, if you talk to people who believe other things and you ask them if Jesus Christ came in the flesh as the Son of God, I think that you would be surprised at how many cults or sects believe that he did not. John was specifically addressing Gnosticism, which believed that Jesus wasn't really flesh and blood. He was just a spirit being. What's the problem with that philosophy? If Jesus wasn't actually flesh and blood, then he didn't actually really die. It was just some kind of phantom ghost, and it wasn't actually blood, and the Son of God didn't give his life for the sins of the world. That's the problem. One that you could, you know, we could very briefly touch on is Mormonism. When you boil it down, they do not believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh and was crucified on the cross. He was a guy. He was Satan's brother. He doesn't have that divinity that only the Son of God should have in offering himself as the perfect sacrifice. Because if he's just an angel that takes on physical form, it's, it's not a valid sacrifice anymore, is it? It's meaningless. So that's one thing, and we look at sects or cults, and we, and we boil it down and say, okay, do you guys believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh as the Son of God and was crucified for your sins? Well, let's not, you know, we, we look at it this way. Oh, all right, that's the spirit of this world. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's taking Jesus as the Messiah away and replacing him with somebody else. Remember, we talked about that when we talked about the Antichrist. There's this cult in town that's making a big push right now. Called It's called the Mother of God cult. And if you ask them if, what their position on Jesus Christ is, again, they do not believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and was crucified and died for your sins. In fact, they believe that Jesus' second coming already happened which creates many problems, <laughs> if that's true. It's not. 
So John's saying, beware, beware of these things in the church. They're really at the root motivated by the spirit of this world. Be sure that, that you're submitting yourself to the spirit of God and not to some other doctrine. And how we safeguard that as believers is in the word and corporately with each other. We can talk about that stuff. We can say, what, what, what does the Bible say about this? Do these people say what they actually believe? Is it really even in the Bible if they say they believe it is? And how we can look at it. Verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. But we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is one of those things that, you know, and the first uh, of our introduction into the no love live. He says, for those of you who know God. He who knows God hears us. In 1 Corinthians, it says that, that the spiritual man discerns all things. Those who are born again spiritually, the carnal man or the man of this world discerns nothing because he's spiritually undiscerning. He can't, he can't understand fully the things of God that we see and read and teach in the Bible. So, so, so again, the focus ending this, this idea of, of different spirits and and testing spirits. The ending thing is don't get overwhelmed. He who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. So it's people who find the devil behind every tree, under every rock. Oh, the devil made me do it. The, the, the devil did this. Well, you know, if, if, if he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world, then that shouldn't really be a problem anymore, is it? It's not. And then here we go into the no love live in, in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The greatest fruit of the Spirit, if you have a right relationship with God and you know who He is, what will come from your life is love. Now that is pretty cool. Because the rest of the world does not give the kind of love that we receive through God in Jesus Christ. Not once and for all on the cross, but on a daily basis. I can receive the love of God in my life. And it comes through knowing him. Now this is the first one to know. You guys realize whether you realize it or not, that relationships that you have with other people change who you are. Maybe a very little, maybe a very lot. But the influences and the people that you have around you, they kind of steer you in different, uh, in certain directions. And you alter yourself to some degree or another because of that influence. And the more that you get to know somebody, the more that you, you think things differently, you, you value what they have to say, your perspective changes. And this is a matter of fact, you guys know it is. And one of my primary example, one of my best examples is the man that I am today is not the same man I would be today if it was not for my wife, Grace. I would be different. 
God took my wife and he said, Tim, I want you to understand what true grace looks like because you don't get it. And I didn't get it. I told you guys before, I was a legalist, especially when it came to things of the faith. I was an apologist. I wanted to argue. The name Warholic comes from the root word squabbler. I enjoyed it. Let's go. And then I married a woman who I wanted to argue with and to get my point across, and she'd say, okay. I'm like, that's not fair. I have some really good points I was going to make, you know? She's like, if it means that much to you, then, you know, I I can concede. I'm like, oh, dude, that's not cool. And as our, as our lives continue to go on, even with, with everything, with our other relationships with people and with our kids, I would, you know, in, in, early when I was younger, I, I would say, can you believe this person said this? Or could you believe this person did this to us? You know what her response would be? You know, maybe they didn't mean it like that. I'm like, I know they meant it like that. They don't like me and I don't like them and that's why they did it. And, and she's like, no, maybe, maybe it's because, you know, maybe because they, they looked at it a different way than, than you're looking at it. Maybe. Dang it. Now I've got to reevaluate this whole thing. And, and then I'm steered more to the arena of, of love than I ever experienced before. Do you know why? Because love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And that's what she was demonstrating to me. I was learning and I was growing. And by God's grace, he gave me somebody that would change my trajectory for the glory of God. And the same thing is true for you guys. Maybe there's somebody that you are uncomfortable with or you don't like, but you can't get out of that situation because God says, I want to use this person to teach you something about yourself that you're too stubborn to know by yourself. We say, God, take this person out of my life. And he said, you just got an extra two years with that person. (laughs) What? God. God knows what's going on. He sees the big picture. And by relationships, by getting to know each other, it, it starts to change our perspective, hopefully for the better, because bad company corrupts good character. So if you think you can hang out with the people that are doing the wrong things and it's okay, guess what? You're still being influenced by them and you start to make decisions based on that influence. And it's not going to be good. It's going to corrupt you. Do you like that word? Everybody's using it a lot lately. It's going to corrupt you if you're not in right relationships with people. Take it to the next, the next level, okay? We live in a city where these people come from all over the world for these, these conventions, right? We got huge convention centers that are built. Why do they go to conventions? It's to get to know people, to network, so that they can become better at what they do. It's natural. It's a natural process. Let's say that there's even something more specific. Let's say that you're a basketball player and you have the opportunity to hang out with any basketball player in the world. Who would you pick? You wouldn't pick your ex-high school coach when you could have somebody like Kobe Bryant, right? You'd say, I want to hang out with him. Why? Because by hanging out with him, having a relationship with him, you get to know them, and it better suits you going in the direction that you want to go. That's what mentorship is all about. 
helping you change. And sometimes people say that they don't want to change, but the reality is we need to change. And then God in his word puts everything back into perspective. It's not about a basketball player or or a, a CEO or any of those things that we want to be motivated to in success. Our motivation, the person that we as believers in Jesus Christ should want to know more than anybody else is God our Father. And that is the picture God paints for us. He says that if you know me, you will be able to experience what genuine, true love is, and then you will be able to love others. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. (coughs) Do you want to love? Do you want to love people? Do you want to experience what true love looks like? Because <clears throat> it's not in Hollywood. It's not anybody else that this world says that you can experience what true love is. It's not commitment. It's not promises. It's not saying somebody loves you or you love somebody. Knowing what love, true love is, is submitting to God and getting to know him so that we can have uh, the, the ultimate demonstration in loving each other for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I don't think we can really wrap our heads around that statement, especially when we're talking about God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. If you want to know what love is, look at God, because God is love. And everything that everybody's saying right now, the, bigot, the bigotry, the, the, the name-calling, the, 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 you align yourself with this group, you're an evangelical Christian, you're this, you're that. Listen, if you're not loving the way that God is helping and instructing us to love, then the question is, are you born of God? Are you being influenced by the Spirit of God? Or are you being influenced by the spirit of this world that does not love? The spirit of this world is about self. Self-good, self-preservation. The spirit of God is love. In this, verse 9, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only son into the world. So the first one is to know. When you get to know God, you put yourself under him positionally in a kind of mentorship where you're subjecting yourself to him. And what you can be sure to be taught is how to love. Many examples through the Bible. God is love. We submit ourselves. The more that we get to know him, the more we understand how uh, he is rich in love and he is love. The second thing uh, is, is love, to know God, to be able to love. And then the third thing, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son in the world that we might live through him. So you have a knowledge. Through that knowledge comes the capacity to love. Through loving others, we start to genuinely live. 
That's what life, that's what abundant life looks like for us as Christians. And if you take one of those things out of the equation, then it gets all messed up and you're not really being examples of what children of God look like. I don't care what the topic is or what the problem. I've shared with you guys a little bit last week and in the past, you know, um, talking about love, um, I, I used to hesitate to say that I love people because I really felt like I wanted it to be genuine. You know, when I say it, I didn't want to just have it be words. I wanted, I wanted to have it to have some meaning. And the problem was, like, I couldn't say that I love somebody unless that I, I actually knew who they were. You know, I knew them. We spent time together. We've gone through stuff together. And the, and the more that you experience in knowing somebody else or relationally experiencing life with them, the more you love them. That's why, again, Sorry for the perfect example, but, you know, my wife, again, the more we go through life and experience life together, the more I love her, the more that I get to know her, even after being married and, and, and having dated for so long, it gets richer and richer and richer. And if that's the way that it is in, in the earthly relationship, how, how do you think God intends it to be for us in a heavenly relationship? That the, the more that we get to know him, the more that we're seeking him, the more that he's revealing to us that we're going to be better equipped to love others. Instead of looking at everything so negatively, as it seems like just so many people have been doing lately. In this is love, verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that we loved, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you know why the Bible is so powerful and real? Why we can read those verses and have it impact us? I don't know if it impacts you. It impacts me. Why we can read those verses and be impacted? Because this is not the way that things roll out in the world system. This is not the kind of love that is demonstrated. And Jesus being the propitiation for our sins was the perfect example of God saying, this is what needs to be done. This is what required, is required. And this is what I'm willing to do for you as a demonstration of love. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Why do you think love is such a big deal? Because love is a choice. God says, I chose to love you. I, I chose to set these things up so that my love was demonstrated and, and exalted towards you. And it's so difficult for me, apart from God, impossible even, to love others. It is really difficult. Can anybody agree with me? <laughs> apart from God, it is very difficult. 
And, and if I'm in the flesh, you just forget about it. You can forget about it. Because uh, I still got that, you know, I don't know. I don't think anybody can attest to this, but I've still got that sharp tongue. I can still be quick and say stuff that I know that I shouldn't say. And it was when I'm motivated by the flesh. It's when I'm influenced by the world, the spirit of this world that says, what you need to do is take care of number one. What you need to do is take care of your family. What you need to do is make sure that things are black and white and you let people know who are on the black side that they are cursed and damned and going to hell. That's the flesh. Because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus says, the words that I'm speaking to you, I love this verse so much. He says, the words, I don't speak of my own accord. I don't say the things that I want to say. The words that I speak are from the Father so that you can know who he is. And I say, God, help me to be like that. Help me to say the things that you want to say to people so that people can know you. And by knowing you, they could experience your great love for them. And by receiving that love, they can have real life the way that you intended it. You know what the opposite of life is? Death. (laughs) Good one, Tim. The opposite of life is death. And that's what we experience in relationships in the world that are not motivated in the Spirit of God. That's why all the questions come. Why am I not satisfied? Why isn't this enough? How come I I want a better car, a nicer house, a bigger raise? I want more affirmation. I want more accolades. It's all about me, me, me. How about bitterness? Bitterness is, is, is the opposite of life, too. What happens when you're bitter? You just, you become vitriolic. You become poisonous. You, you reject the things that are abundant life that God wants to have for you. You start to give in to the, to the, to the, the ridiculous philosophies that this world says have value. Life. Isn't that interesting that we experience love by knowing God Therefore, the the natural progression is having abundant life. Is that what you guys want? Because it's what I want. I know Christians who call themselves Christians, but they don't necessarily appear to be having abundant life. They're struggling. And it's not because God doesn't love them. It's because they're not exercising their knowledge of him by loving others holding on to things and allowing things to influence their perspective, which little by little changes them. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually. I've shared this before as well. We were at the um, married couples retreat with Pastor John Corson a few years ago, and he said that his parents had moved in with him, and he said that they were believers, they loved the Lord, but he was astonished at the filter that, that, that was, was gone the older that his parents got. You know, as, as we're younger, we're, we kind of try to filter, you know, what we say because of consequences or, or how we, we, people feel. But the older that he said his parents got, the more liberal they were with the things that they said. And why were they liberal with the things that they said? Because they felt more comfortable? Because they were still upset about something that happened in the past? Well, because it was just because it was inside. 
because it was what, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And maybe we can rein in or stop saying things that we know we shouldn't say in certain company. But the reality is, if we don't address the core, if we don't address the heart, it's going to eventually come out. And then we say things like, I can't believe I just said that. You better believe you can't believe it. But you've been thinking it, haven't you? You've been trying to rein it in and, and filter it out. But the reality is if, if it's a heart condition that we're not willing to take to God and have him adjust in our lives, then eventually it's going to come out. But the opposite is true as well. You get the goodness from walking with the Lord, having the influence of the Holy Spirit, loving others because you were first loved by God. And the result is that's what comes out. And it's not because you have to. It's just because that's what's there. If it's, if it's an apple tree, it's going to get apples. If it's an orange tree, it's going to produce oranges. If it's a weed, there's not going to be any fruit that comes from it. It's what's going to come from your life. That is why our heart for um, the vision and direction of our church is so strongly rooted in not what our service is to God, but first and foremost in our relationship, in our knowledge with Him. Because as we as a church corporately continue to understand and know who God is on a deeper level, if I'm still getting to know my wife after having five kids and being married for almost 12 years, if I'm still getting to know her on a daily basis, which I already told you I am, how much more am I getting to know God my Father in heaven? Oh, I know God. No, you don't. You don't know the height and the width and the breadth and the depth that the, the, the love that God has for you. You don't know, Paul says, the greatness that he wants to pour out into your life. And we have to be willing to say, God, I want to know you. Through this trial, through this pain, through this heartache. And God, his revelation to you through those things is his love. And then that's when those verses make so much sense. When we read them, we get upset, but, but all things work together for good for those who what? Love God and are called according to his purpose. It's like a tapestry that God puts together. And it's not one thing. It's everything and God says, the more that you want to engage and know me, the more love I will pour out into your life. But the more attention that you give to relationships in this world apart from God, the, the only thing that you are going to experience is the opposite of love, what the world's definition of love is, and death. And I'm sorry if, if that's too emphatic for you, but I love you and I want to warn you, that's all you can expect. The motivation comes from the spirit of this world. Self-preservation, how I feel, what I want. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. This is a really cool verse. You know what this means? The love of God has been given to us and has been perfected in us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. When the day of judgment comes, everybody else on the, in the, on the earth is going to be crying out for the rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the face of God, and we will be able to stand boldly before the throne of God with open arms, and say, thank you, Jesus. If there's any kind of inclination in us that says, I do not want Jesus to come back, maybe there's something that needs to be dealt with today. (laughs) Maybe there's something that's being hidden. Maybe there's a personal desire or some kind of satisfaction that, that you're looking for that is not really giving you boldness to stand before God openly. Address it. The love of God is, the love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I can never get tired of talking about love. I don't know if this is too repetitive, but I am just loving it. Get it? <laughs> yeah. It's the wit the Lord gave me, I guess. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because the fear speaks to judgment. And God says, I want you to know that I love you so much. I want you to know what to expect from me. And when love is perfected in us, we only expect the love of God from him, even at the very end of the age. Love. That's what the expectation is. You know, all of these other world religions, all of these cults, all of these sects, look at all of them. None of them are certain. None of them are certain. Their gods are far off. They're hard to understand. They're hard to, to wrap their heads around. Look at the, the gods of the god Allah. You don't know what to expect from that guy. You know, one day he could be blessing you because you're killing infidels, and next day, you know, you could be fodder for the, for the furnace. And that fear drives people to extremes in their religion. But you know what God wants us to expect from him? God wants us to expect love. This does not qualify us to sin, It does not qualify us to go away from him. It actually motivates us to go towards him. When when Grace and I were moving to Croatia, one thing that I understood from personal experience and uh, the calling that God had given on our lives to be missionaries at that time, one thing that that I understood very clearly in the beginning was that the only way that I was really going to be able to reach these people who were who were so entrenched. Listen, they just finished fighting a war for their right to be a certain religion. 
It was the, the Bosnian Muslims against the Serbian Orthodox against the, the Croatian Catholics. They got f- done fighting a war, their brothers and sisters and, and families dying for the right to call themselves Catholic. How are we going to be able to underst- help them understand that God uh, functions and operates in grace, not in works? That was the biggest thing. They thought that they could do certain things. How can we get them to understand that? You know what the Lord told me one time? Love. You love them, and they will understand who I am. Because there is no love in their religious institution. There's chores, there's deeds, there's stuff to do, but there's a lack of love. What genuine love looks like. So when we say we know God, he's changed us and enabled us to love, and then we see the world and we are influenced by these things, the news and opinions and parties and et cetera, et cetera. When we take our identity and we place it into the heavenly kingdom, we're able to have a medium or an avenue to love somebody that we wouldn't have loved before. We wouldn't have loved before. It's true. So we say, God, we submit ourselves to you. We want you to know that we love you and and we want the capacity to love others. And then as we do that, the love of God is made real. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. God is the initiator. God is the initiator with us. It's not because I said, I love you, God, that he wants to show me back that he loves me. I'll never forget, you know, I want to ask this girl to be my wife. I love her, you know, grace that is. And we're sitting in this car in Hungary, and we just got done taking a trip, and it was the day, you know, you just know when it's time. And it was the day, not that I was going to propose, but I wanted her to know that, baby, I love you. (laughs) I've never said it before. And it was a big moment for me because you guys know how I feel about that, you know? Like, it was for real, and how am I going to say it, you know? And I'm just thinking about it. I'm like, oh, man, I I want you to know that, that I love you. You know what she said to me? So thank you. (laughs) But there's something else that you want to say too, right? You know, because I'm being real and honest. And is there anything else? And she said, no. And I said, wait a minute. So are you telling me that I feel differently about how how you feel about me? She said, no, I've just determined that I'm not going to tell any man that I love him until he's my husband. Because that's the only man that I want to love. Like, you dirty little brat. But you do, though, right? Just wink once if it's yes. I won't tell anybody else. The thing, the thing is, you know, that I pursued her. I told, I loved her first. Did you love me back then? You don't know. You don't have to say. She still won't, she still won't tell me. But her motivation to respond to me should be based on me loving her. Just like our motivation to respond to God is based on him showing me how much he loves me. 
And let's not get tied up until, into this materialism where that if God says that he loves me, that he's going to give me all this material stuff and I'm going to be healthy and wealthy and all that garbage because that's not what love is connected to or tied to. It's not tied to stuff. It's tied to relationship. And you can meet people who have nothing, have nothing in this world but the great power of love that's been given to them by the Father, and they are worth so much more than all the yachts and private jets and everything else. That's the value of what love looks like. He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? That's a good, that's a good, I never thought about that before I read it in the Bible. (laughs) How can you say that you love your brother whom you have seen? How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that if, that he who loves God must love his brother also. It's a commandment. It's not burdensome. To love people, is it burdensome? Not if it's natural, especially. Not if it's motivated in the Spirit of God. Because I can't do it myself. All these things justify why I can't. But we as the people of God demonstrate the love of God by having a right relationship with Him, knowing God the Father, love coming from that relationship, and abundant life following In Jesus' name, let's pray. God, we thank you for pursuing us first. We thank you for not starting over again after Noah messed up and got drunk with the vineyard and after the kings messed up and were doing stuff that they shouldn't have been doing when David messed up and did the sin with Bathsheba, like so many times throughout history that, that you should have given up on us as a people, as humanity, that, but you didn't because you want to demonstrate to us what real love looks like, <clears throat> agape love, choosing to love people who hated you, healing people when you came to the earth, Jesus, who you know the intentions of their heart, the woman that was to be stoned for adultery. You so clearly demonstrating love to us and our desire is to see and experience the manifold grace and the manifold love that you, God, our Father, wants to bestow on us. And it starts here right now. So God, help us to love others. Help us to love each other so that we can be representatives of who you are. In Jesus' name.